Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. We're going to spend the next um, 20 minutes or so just looking at a bit of a, a pastoral message, really, about this time. And with all our cultural awareness of the ongoing problem of racism, I wanted to speak to the whole church, maybe even the whole city, maybe the whole nation, about our responsibility as followers, followers of Christ. I like what the scripture says in the Old Testament. Micah, one of the prophets, he, he, sa- he, he says this in Micah 6, he has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, uh, to, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God? He says that, see that justice is done. Let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey your God. What I'm doing and what I've been doing is just asking God to help us as a church family, to help us act justly, to love mercy, uh, walk humbly, and if I can add another one, to be united as one. So when the world looks on, as Jesus says, when the world looks on, they will see us as followers of Jesus who um, the way we truly love one another will demonstrate unity and demonstrate love so that the world may see that Jesus is real and Jesus is alive. I don't know about you, if you're anything like me, you hear and daily we hear about some sad news or some injustice or some area of politics or government that's broken, some level of persecution that's happening around the world. And it's really easy to be sad, you know, uh, just for that moment. But then we, if you're anything like me, we often just get on with our life. You hear about some injustice and you say, that's, that's really unfortunate for them. I'm genuinely sad, you're genuinely sad. Um, But because of the way of our human nature is, the way it is, we could hate it for a moment, but because it's far away, because it's not here, you might get upset with a, a, a bit, it might bother you, but it doesn't really move you into action. I guess it's different though, when you listen to people that you do know when people in our community are saying, I'm affected by racism on a daily basis. Uh, Or you hear people in our community say, before I could speak, I knew I was different. And so being a white male doesn't mean that my life isn't hard, but it means that my skin tone isn't one of the things that's making it harder. And so as we've been, for those of you tuned in last week, uh, we had our our conversation with some of our leaders in the church. And then afterwards we had a a Zoom call and it uh, provided some powerful moments to continue the conversations and continue to listen. Uh, We heard from other individuals who spoke vulnerably, who spoke personally, and many of us were moved, uh, transformed by those conversations, healed by those uh, hearing the stories, provoked as our comfort zone of fear uh, was being challenged into something new. You see, 
what's happening now is that the majority culture cannot ignore the reality of systemic racism that goes back for centuries. And we pray that this is a tipping point uh, in our world, in our nation, in our city, and in our church. So Viv and I, we've just been taking uh, the posture of listening. We've tried to be in a place where we want to learn. Uh, and we're just seeking and trying to see that justice is done. We're, letting, we're trying to be, let mercy be our first concern. And as we try to do throughout our lives, is just humbly obey our God. See, the problem, and many of you have heard this, read and seen the stories from even the weekend. If all we're doing is just shouting, is anybody taking the time to listen? And the temptation is to think that the person that shouts the loudest is the voice that's heard. And I want to propose, actually, it's the person who listens could be the one that dictates change. And so we're just offering this. Would you be a listener in this season? Would you... Be a, take a posture of learning. Uh, what was evident from the Zoom call last week is the many questions that were, were coming on the, uh, on the Zoom call were, were themes about what is Vineyard 61 going to do now? Uh, what are you doing about this? What are you doing about that? Uh, can I just say we're interested firstly in just deepening the process of conversations and helping. We'll get to the silver bullet, like what's next? Uh, but I think our posture at the moment is just be a listener, be a learner. First and foremost, we've got four things that we're just asking. First and foremost, are we in this conversation a year from now, three years from now, ten years from now? Uh, we've been nervous about just reacting uh, or anything that we do is seen as some kind of PR or um, tokenistic but at the same time, we, do, we don't want to react, but we do want to respond. Uh, secondly, we recognize that our leadership and the leadership development is slow work. Leaders are grown in this informal, familial system. Thirdly, this moment, and this is, this is the moment where, is it possible that in this moment, this is another opportunity for restoring, for resetting and reviving new life and culture? And fourthly, uh, what can we celebrate? You see, diversity is to be celebrated. And already we're seeking and seeing new opportunities to create another, um, another moment in our history of the church an opportunity to celebrate diversity in its history, in language, in color, in culture, in worship, in prayer, in creativity, in how we look at the scriptures. Many, may the scriptures just come alive uh, to us as they're deeply understood in the rich tapestry of the body of Christ. Um, if you want to be blessed, read Revelations. And in Revelation, uh, it's the last book of the Bible. In Revelations, it says this, after, I looked, uh, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, were standing before the throne. And before the Lamb clothed in white robes, with palm branches in the hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Fantastic scripture. And you think about the Great Commission. Scripture's coming alive at this time. 
the Great Commission says, go therefore making disciples of all nations. And we could go on and on and on. So I am saying, we're saying now that we're going to be committed to this continual power of storytelling and creating conversations. As Viv and I lead this community, there are more stories to be shared, more stories to listen to, more stories that will educate us, that will help us. Um, I think Heather, as part of our Balaam site, she prophesied this, I think three or four weeks ago. She said, the glory is in the story. And over these last few months, we've been hearing stories of people in our community. And last week in our Zoom call, we heard a gr- uh, just stories came up and Betty was on the Zoom call. And uh, Viv, and I, Viv and her have been speaking over the last few weeks. And uh, we've asked her just to share some story, her story with us. As you listen, see the glory in her story. just wanted to share my own personal experiences in addition to the stories that were told last Sunday which and I could relate to a lot of them actually and so I I came to the UK back in 2006 and when I when I came to this country um, all my friends told me and all my family told me that you have to work a little bit harder than your white British counterparts if you're going to get that job if you're going to get that opportunity if um, you're going to get into that university, you just have to work a little bit harder. And um, my parents would tell me, oh, why did you get this grade? Why didn't you get a higher grade? Um, and they would just hold me to a higher standard. And I guess they understood and they had seen it for themselves that you just don't get the same opportunity. So if you're going to compete, you have to, you have to perform in such a way that people can't discount you because of performance. It has to, it has to be because of other reasons. Um, other things that I was, I w- you know, people suggested that I do is change my name to a fully British name. Um, so my name, my, actually my Kenyan name, my Kenyan maiden name is just, it, it is unique. Okay. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> it's really unique. And, um, and so my, my cousin would tell me, listen, if you're going to stand a chance, like, you know, they'll look at your application and they'll just dismiss you just from the name. They'll be like, oh, I can't even pronounce the name. Forget it. Um, and they wouldn't even give you an opportunity for an interview. So um, so I, I got that sense that you have to adjust and you have to change in certain ways for you to be able to just, you know, get that job or uh, just, you know, I guess uh, do what it is that you really want to do. Um, so, and I was having a chat with my mom the other day as well. My mom goes to a predominantly um, a white church as well. She goes to an Anglican church, and she was telling me about her first experience of racism in the church, and where they were they were giving Holy Communion, and she was helping out with the Holy Communion, and one of the ladies just just wouldn't go near her, and she just walked right past her uh, so those, those are just some of the examples and 
I also didn't want to dwell a lot on um, those stories because they, although they're important and they're very important and they need to be heard. However, I wanted to give some examples as well of where I really felt seen um, and where, you know, I felt like, you know, wow, they really see my value here and they appreciate what it is I have to bring to the table. Um, last Sunday, I gave an example, of, I gave an analogy of, um, of whenever it is I go to, to the village to visit my grandma, there's like different homes in the homestead. And so there's my auntie's house, there's my grandma's house, there's such and such house. And um, as part of bonding, as part of um, building a relationship, you visit all, all these different homes and you have to eat there as well. So they make you their favorite dish or they make you, you, they make you your favorite dish. Um, as a gesture of, you know, I'm happy that you're here. Um, here's my favorite dish. This is what I'm bringing to the table. Let's sit down, eat together and bond. Um, and just kind of building relationships, I found it to be really uh, a way of um, breaking down those barriers. So some of the ways that, uh, that I found that, I've, you know, somebody has really appreciated my value is asking, what else can I do? How else can I equip you? So then I love what you're doing here. What else can I do to make sure that you're really excelling at what it is that you're doing? Um, another way is just genuinely asking me questions. Uh, you know, where are you from? What kind of language do you speak, etc., etc. Um, yeah, so I really love the stories that are going around and um, I'm really excited about the journey that we're on towards cross-culture and multicultural, making it, making it a bit more of a multicultural church and cross-cultural church. Thank you. Wasn't that good? Uh, thank you, Betty, for, for sharing part of which I imagine is a is a huge, deep, powerful story. And uh, we, we don't just carry on these conversations of finding out the glory in the story. Let me just speak uh, in these last moments uh, into this season, uh, partly as I try to navigate it personally, but also there might be something in here uh, that may help, inspire, provoke, teach, teach uh, some of you out there. Um, for whatever reason, I think the last few weeks has just been a bit harder. It's felt like uh, those early days and those early, early weeks of lockdown, uh, there was that su sudden hope that maybe we'll all be let out. And uh, just the last few weeks, there's a lot of uncertainty. We don't know quite what's going to happen. How long are we going to be here? And uh, I, w I just wanted to speak to some of you that are just finding life just got harder in these last couple of weeks. Um, about two, two or three months ago, uh, I love Peter, I love the character of Peter, and uh, I began reading uh, some of his writings in 1 Peter and 2 Peter. And so we're gonna look at 1 Peter chapter one. So if you have a Bible at home, please turn, turn to your Bibles now. As we read through the text, uh, we're gonna start and then we'll, I might just uh, pick up a few, few of those bits there. Um, let me just read this. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer with grief of all kinds of trials. These, have, these come so that the, prove, that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. 
you see, I love where Peter says all kinds of trials. Uh, this is the Greek word for trials is parismas. It can be translated as a trial or a test or a temptation. But Peter writes all kinds of trials. I wonder whether we can get the slide up on the, on the screen for everyone to see. But yeah, that'd be great. Peter writes all kinds of trials. He's not referring to one particular, but to the many trials we go through in some form in life and for, uh, for others, for sure, they're going through a huge amount of trials. But all of us in this global pandemic now, uh, we're all in this trauma together. We're all in this trial together. But specifically, some of you maybe have been furloughed or made redundant. Some of you are feeling loneliness like you've never felt before. Some of you are feeling the anxiety like never, never before. Some of you are feeling the systemic racism like never, never before. Or it might be a minor irritant. But he goes on and he says these trials have come so that the, to prove the genuineness, or it can be translated to the authenticity of your faith, which is worth greater than gold. See, which perishes even though refined by the fire, it may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Now, I wanted to just to, where I wanted to land for these last few moments is, um, is on the, the refinement as in gold. And so I've titled this talk, In the Fiery Crucible. Uh, Peter here, he's drawing from this well-known metaphor from the ancient world. It's the metaphor of metallurgy in the modern, in the modern world with art and science mixed together. Um, when I first met Jesus in, uh, back in the 90s, when somebody was passionate for God or there was a preach or someone, they were just passionate for God, we would say, man, that, that guy, that girl, she's on fire. Um, more recently, when a performance or is full of emotion, when, when you see someone, you might say, that's fire. Or we all know about the fire emoji. But in the biblical world, fire was not a metaphor for passion or praise. It's a metaphor for purity. And more specifically here, Peter is describing this word picture of metallurgy. Unlike today, when most of us don't even know where the objects of our home come from, Peter here is drawing out something new. Uh, as I left home today, I picked up some metal objects, which I, I wanted to show you. Let me show you my, my favorite metal object uh, in the world. This is my mocha pot. This kind of describe, I'm gonna show you three items which describe my life in lockdown. So this mocha pot, um, uh, I can't go without a day without using, using this. Uh, but this metal piece of equipment, Fantastic. Another one, um, I've been doing a lot of DIY in the home. All the jobs that I've been putting off for about three years, I've been able to, to do. So that's a, a spanner, another piece of metal. And this one, my South African roots coming out here. In South Africa, this is pewter and uh, uh, Carol Boyd, she's a designer and she crafts this fantastic piece of metal. And so uh, this is uh, a spoon that, we, this isn't like a my cereal spoon. This is like a serving spoon that we, we've been using uh, for, for many, many years. Beautiful piece of, uh, beautiful piece of art. Uh, I just wanted to kind of tell you, it kind of sums up my three months of coffee, food, and 
and DIY. Um, unlike today, just have a look in your home right now. Just have a look where you are around your living room, maybe your bedroom, kitchen, wherever you are. You'll see these pieces of metal around the place that we've got no idea. We don't even think about how they were made, where they were made. We just, do you remember when we went to shops and brought things? Do you remember that? Do you remember those times? Um, most of us today don't know about some of the, how, how things are made. But in ancient Mediterranean, Mediterranean, they were far more aware and how things were made. As most, most of the objects that people owned were made by hand. And within, they were made by hand within a small radius of people uh, around their home. Uh, you wouldn't have to travel very far. Uh, up until recently, even in our own nation, uh, our nation, uh, London, was formed of sort of hamlets and villages. And in every hamlet and village, there would be a blacksmith that would craft and design these pieces of metal. Uh, in, metallurg uh, in metallurgy, this ancient art form, uh, the, the person would first heat up metal in a crucible, which is like a container to hold the metal. And all the heat uh, then would keep it over the fire until the metal was molten. Uh, and I think we've got a little video to, to describe what that looks like. See, what would happen? All the impurities, there's the crucible there, and it's been heated up at an extreme temperature. But what would happen? All the impurities all the slag that was in the metal from the beginning would come to the surface. You see, slag is like anything that is not supposed to be there. Other, it might be other type of metal, air pockets, impurities, anything. You see, and if the, pre, if the metal was precious like gold, in the ancient world, gold was the most precious of all metals of all materials. And it's interesting to me that gold is also um, uh, the most flexible, the most malleable. See, the metallurgist would, would pour the gold into a mold and then create uh, a, a, a beautiful piece. Uh, John, John Mark Comer, he, he says that the crucible or the container is used to refine precious me metals has been long an apt metaphor for the roles of trials or spiritual formation in, a, in our time. I looked up uh, the word crucible in the Cambridge Online Dictionary and it reads this, it's a vessel for melting a substance that requires a high degree of heat to a severe test like the one that we're in right now, a crucible, they, um, the, a crucible, so to speak, is, is like it gets into our soul. It get, the, the crucible that we're in at the moment, we're in this fiery state at the moment where all of our impurities, all of the, all of the things that have been in our lives are coming to the surface. Uh, and so that was one definition about the severe test of a crucible. The other, the other thing in the Cambridge Dictionary, which I found fascinating, is it says this. I, it just blew me away when I read this, and I think you're going to have that on the screen. Um, a crucible is a place or a situation in which different cultures or styles can mix together to produce something new and exciting. I read that, and I thought, that can't be the definition. 
with all that's going on now in our culture, that can't be the definition now. A place or a situation where different cultures or styles can mix together to produce something new and exciting. I think that's a, that's a prophetic word that the Cambridge Online Dictionary have just spoken to us as a, as a nation, as a world. When I read that, the Spirit of God just landed on me really heavily and just inspired me about this time of crucible. So the two definitions, this, this melting pot of cultures and styles mixed together, but also it's a test. Um, I don't know, anyone out there feeling like all of your impurities or all your fears or all your uh, anxieties under the surface are just coming out right now? They're coming to the forefront of your relational life. Um, all of this, what Peter describes, is God using this so that he may refine us, refine our soul, reshape us like gold into a new mold, which for us as followers of Jesus, the new mold that Jesus is constantly forming us into is to be like him, to be like Jesus. Even in the middle of the trial, uh, because trials... Uh, whether they're major or minor, see, what Peter's describing is they've got this opportunity to forge us and mould us into a people of faith. Trials have this potential to forge us into, a, into people with a deep level of trust in a God, uh, trusting that the, we're now free from the illusion of control. People that are free and we have this calm flexibility and uh, serenity. People that are at peace in whatever ever does come or doesn't come up, uh, in, in this season. But what is true is we're in a fiery crucible right now. And if you think about fire, what does fire do? Is it intensifies. It makes what's good better, but also it makes what's bad come to the surface. Um, we were talking this week with a fantastic lady down in, in the south coast and, uh, and she was describing just some of the uh, prophecies that came about last year about this time. And I think Viv and I, we wished that we had got some heads up about that. I think we would have wished that we'd have heard some of the prophets who spoke about what was coming. I think you'll see the difference in what Viv heard and what I heard in a minute. But at the beginning of this year, Viv just felt as though this was a year of um, uh, just simplify. And at the beginning of January, it was just like, we just need to simplify. And so we made decisions to simplify a lot of things. I felt Jesus say to me, Steve, stop drinking. What would it look like to stop drinking for a year? And you can kind of see the difference in spirituality between Viv and, Viv and myself. And, and so this year, I, I haven't drunk and actually... There's a lot of wisdom that Jesus has given me by telling me not to, to drink for this year because I just don't know what would have happened if uh, lockdown had hit and what would have happened to my alcohol intake. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll talk about this season for decades and decades in terms of what's happened in this season. But I'm also aware that I'm more irritable I'm also aware that I'm a bit more grouchy. I'm on edge. I'm, I, I am oscillating emotionally. So I was walking the dog on Friday and I just burst into tears. 
and uh, loads of people walking past me and you know as you know and the commons are all packed but I was just I was just weeping and I just uncontrollably crying I'm uh, there's times where I'm literally on the edge and I'm seeing the stuff that is now on the surface there's stuff in me you see it's not new it's just intensified by the stress of this time by this fiery crucible that is in this time and it's brought this stuff in my heart um, all the injury that I've received the unrealistic expectations the unrealistic perfectionism on myself and other people and I'm so aware of the slag in my life right now on the surface of my heart it's there it's just all the impurities that I can just see it around me and in my heart I'm really uh, uh, very aware of it but I'm also aware that this could be a moment of gracious vulnerability that this moment has brought to me it's I'm aware that this could be the making of my spiritual formation and I'm guessing I'm not alone. I'm guessing that there's many of us, we're feeling both of those tensions of the, uh, the impurities, but also this beautiful moment of uh, our spiritual formation. Uh, just to finish, really, I've just been asking this question. What do we do now when we see our impurities rising to the surface? What do we do? The question is, with all that kind of slag in your life, with all that all those impurities, so to speak, on the surface of our relational life, our emotional life and our spiritual life, what do we do? Let me ask a different question. Better said, what will we let God do in this moment? Like Peter, will we let God forge us into a people of love in this current season? As I said earlier, this could be the greatest moment of our spiritual formation in the home than, than we'll ever have. This could be the defining moment or the turning point in our life. And I've just got a few things, few, few pointers of what these last few months of the, the crucible, what it's doing to me. And I just wanted to share, uh, just if it's any, any help to others. Number one is to repent and return. Repent and return. Number one, repent and return. Um, I meet so many people today who are scared of the word repentance. Again, sorry, when I say meet, I used to meet loads of people who were scared. Um, do you remember when we met people? I used to meet loads of people that were wanted to avoid the word repentance. In fact, many of us were scared of that word, though, that small six-letter word of repent. What does repent mean? Many of us, we actually don't understand what that little word means. Let me give you two meanings from the New Testament. You may, I'm hoping that some of you might be surprised to learn that the word repent in the Greek New Testament simply means to turn around. It's a military term that described a soldier marching in one direction and then doing a quick about face. So there was an action, there was an activity. Let me give you the second one. The other word, metanoia, it means, the Greek word, it means change the way you think. Rethink the way you see yourself. Repurpose and reorder your mind so that you uh, take hold of 
the truths of Jesus and t make a about turn in your mind. So we have these action and we have this spiritual action as well. Actions and a change of mind. Number two is uh, just simply to commit and converse. I've been beginning to commit to this process of seeing God reveal the impurities in my life and hand it back to him, give it back to him, uh, but also to commit to this process of ongoing spiritual formation. Okay, number, number three, and then we'll, we're going to go back into worship. Number three is actually give thanks and worship. Some of the studies that have been done and some of our own informal pastoral support of individuals is uh, number three is just simply to give thanks and worship. One of the, one of the benefits of uh, moving away from self-centeredness is you begin to look up and to give thanks for what is happening. Instead of focusing on what is not happening, we, we begin to look up and we thank God for what is happening. And so uh, many of you have heard, some of you have heard some of the stories I've said about young people that I used to mentor and we would just have this uh, activity of giving thanks, being thankful for what is happening. And we've just used that time and time again, that in the middle of a trauma, in the middle of a crisis, one of our, almost our tools is to begin to give thanks. Whether that's in sung worship or whether that's speaking out, uh, just the things that we're thankful for. And so we really, really recommend, um, someone rang up, I think on Thursday, uh, and was just wanted, to, wanted some help in things that we're going through. And uh, just for about 10 minutes, we just gave thanks. And uh, I said, do this three times a day. That's your prescription. Give thanks three times a, three times a day. And um, there is power, though, in sung worship. And I really miss corporate worship. I really miss singing together with a family, being together, lifting our voices in praise and thankfulness to God. There's something powerful, God-inspired about corporate worship and corporate singing. And uh, we are looking forward to the days where we can gather. We want to just create environments where we can just worship our socks off together. But in the meantime, use this time to cultivate your own uh, rhythm of worship, your own rhythm of giving thanks to God. And the gift of lockdown season is we have to stay at home. There's nowhere to go. And I'm asking you not to just stay at home, but be with each other with Jesus in this crucible. With all that's going on at the surface, stay in this process of Jesus uh, refining you uh, like gold. I was listening to a song and uh, we're going to just worship now. I'm going to hand over to SP. The song, it says, um, just going to quote it, even on my worst day, you were right there with me, Lord. Even on my worst day, you were right there with me, Lord. You calm all my striving. You lay your peace like, over me like blanket. And there was this bridge, meet your maker, smiling bright. Meet your saviour, love's pure light. Come on, taste the real thing, feast on his life.
Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.